want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Hey yo, what is good everybody? Welcome to the exit interview. People don't know, people probably might not know your voice on this podcast. People are like, what? Wait, Who is that talking? I thought I was, wait, I thought this was the exit interview. Where's Dr. Asia Lyons? Where's here Kevin Lyons? Well, I got news for you, everybody. They are right here. Yes. Yo, mm-hmm. what's up, people? How y'all doing? Hey. So uh, you may be extremely confused if you are one of our regular exit interview listeners. Um, we are on the eve of the 22-23 school year. We know some of you have already started. Shout out, may the odds be ever in your favor as you re-enter classrooms and schools and your buildings and um, and you know living that amazing life. So what we decided to do um, for this um, for this episode of the exit interview is I, Gerardo Munoz, your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year um, and former classroom teacher, um, am going to be conducting an interview with Dr. Asia Lyons and with Kevin Adams. Let's this was go. such a great idea. I think. Yes, yes. I think it's a good idea. So, um, so Asia, let's talk a little bit, like if, if y'all could maybe, um, just share with the audience a little bit about why we all decided to take this approach this time. Um, that way they can kind of, we can give them a little roadmap as to what, uh, what they're about to hear. Yeah, sure. So I think we had last summer, we had, a uh, a chance to talk and do the re- the mixtape. Right. That's right. And, and so we didn't do that this, this summer, but I think that Kevin and I have had lots of conversations in U2G, right? After we finished wrapping up to say like, that was really dope or let's talk about that more somewhere else. And like, this is a somewhere else, right? So just kind of collecting some of our data from folks and what we've heard and what we've been thinking about. And just, this is the time for us to reflect as a crew about like what we find really interesting about these conversations, what's really important what has not been solved and some things that maybe have been solved since we've talked to so many folks. Yeah. yeah. Like our takeaways, right? Yes. Like what, what right. do we take away? What, what, what have we learned from these interviews? Because I think there's a lot to learn and you know, what, what trends are we noticing as we, as we go through these interviews 
and the commonalities when it comes to uh, black educators exiting the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is good. And I think, um, and I think it, it's, it's just great because I think as you both know, when you are kind of neck deep in the work from, you know, from your perspective. So Kevin, as a classroom teacher, um, a forever classroom teacher, apparently, uh, we'll get to that part later on. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Um, we'll get to that part later on, but, but sort of where you are processing this work, Kevin, as a, as a classroom teacher and where Dr. Lyons, where Asia, you are talking, um, from your perspective as a researcher and a scholar in this area. And, you know, I, I just have to make sure I'm going to be saying Dr. Lyons the whole time or Dr. Asia, Dr. Um, Asia, Dr. Because Lyons. You have that, and it's beautiful. You have matriculated and you I was on the front row, so they played that song the whole time, and it went it went for like four loops. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It like goes on. It. Keep playing it. Well, let's uh, let's dive right in, um, because I think that this is a question. Um, Actually, I wish I could say this was a question on so many people's minds in education, but it is not. This is a question that should be on the minds of everyone in education. So in the midst of this crisis in staffing that is looming over our schools, um, what is you all's perspective on the state of Black educators today, right now, the eve of the 2022-2023 school year? If you could sort of sum up in general terms where are we at? Kevin, you want to go first? I'll go first. Cover boy. I mean, stop it. Based, based on- <laughs> Wait, hold based... on. I'm going to interrupt real quick. So I'm not a union member anymore, but um, but Kevin was on the cover of NEA Today for August of 2022, and um, we are getting all kinds of fan mail. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Fan <laughs> messages. People so excited. Um, oh, so stop. Anyway. So, Kevin, <laughs> take it away. I mean, I, I, to be honest, the state of, of black educators right now, I, I, I'd say it's, it's pretty dire. I don't think it looks good. Um, I think based on, on what I've seen, the trends that I've seen, the interviews that we've done, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know. And I think we'll, we'll probably talk more about this, but I don't know how much uh, this system can can do to help black educators stay in the classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I've based on the stories that I've heard in my recent experiences on the bargaining team um, in my school district, um, as we negotiate our master con or our um, main agreement, uh, I, I don't see, I don't envision a future where people are willing to do or make radical changes that will be the things that are going to deal with the issues that we have heard about throughout the exit interview. Asia, your thoughts? Yeah, I have to agree. I don't think, and, and our, our, ho- our um, guests, excuse me, have said it so many times. We asked the question, what do you think that unions and um, school districts can do to keep Black educators in classrooms? And folks have said over and over again, nothing. And almost like laughing when they say it, like it's it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And if folks did have ideas, it's not like the unions or school districts or whoever makes these yeah. decisions is going to do anything about it or actually follow some of these directions. So, yeah, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing this like 
now no longer a slow leak, but just flood of Black educators leaving. I'm not seeing that ending anytime soon. I think I said this before we started um, recording that, you know, I, f- I interviewed uh, five Black educators and their families for my research. And out of those five Black educators, when I go back and check on those folks, out of five, three of them are, are still teaching and two of them have left, right? So, and this was, I interviewed them maybe like January, right? And I wow. could be more as the time goes on. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and folks are doing other things. They're totally out of teaching altogether. Some folks have chose to do like teacher coaching in a consulting space. So still with youth, but in a different capacity, but just, I don't foresee it. Um, I don't foresee it being fixed anytime soon. Yeah. So uh, in a word, and it makes me think of uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach Raheem Morris a few years ago. They asked him about his team's poor performance and he goes, it's not very good. <laughs> and yeah. so I think what we would say here is that the situation is not very good. Um, we, you have, you both, and, and I, in my capacity as producer, um, I get to kind of be the fly on the wall or the fly behind the Zoom camera. Um, that is uh, listening and trying to process and make sense of, of what is being shared. Um, one of the threads that has happened is that it's the same story, right? It's the same mm-hmm. story when we have these issues of Black teacher attrition. What's that story? Uh, well, you know, it's it's the pain, right? It's, it's the silence. It's the... Um, welcoming the Black educator, specifically, we'll talk about this probably a little bit more, but specifically Black women's experience on our podcast of like feeling welcomed and feeling good about the space and that slowly changing over time, right? Folks who said like they've started committees and DI things and done the work and work with kids and then people are telling them, oh, just be honest with me. If you see me doing something, call me out. Then they get, they call them out and then it's silence, right? Or policies and procedures and just nitpicking and all these things so that constant you know and it just goes on and on and on yeah yeah I mean I I you hit it right on the head uh Asia that it's definitely that um common experience I think where where people come in and in particular black women and they feel good they're ready to do the work they're excited they've been work you know wanting to be educators throughout their lives and they come in and then and then they begin to advocate or push back right you know and and for whatever reason there's always things that cause them to see start to see the inequities whether it's like they become very blatant or the inequities come against them right but and then Mm -hmm. it's always followed by this exact same thing oh now you're aggressive now you're the problem. Now you don't work well with people. You don't, you're not good for staff morale, you know? And I think that has been one of the most interesting trends that I have seen in our exit interviews. And, and to that point, um, I think, you know, that makes me think of early interviews that you all conducted with Satara and with Annalise, who, you know, and particularly Satara, the, the, a big part of her story that really stuck with me was it how there were principals like bidding for her, like begging yeah. her to come to their school. And, and I think the manner with which that dynamic turned on a dime and, um, and just got toxic. 
right from the perspective and so that so that's kind of you know sort of as I think back on the interviews that that I've produced and put together uh with you all those kind of come to mind what were you going to say Asia I was just thinking about this this particular season we've had folks we've had administrators being interviewed um on our show and we also had someone who uh shout out to Stacey Brandon and Dr. Patterson Stacey Brandon uh, was executive director, whatever the title was, for DEI for her school district. School district. Right. And so, so many folks say, well, if, if I just get my principal licensure, then I'm going to be a principal and change things around. Or if I'm just do it. And, and those two interviews alone will let you know. And if you have not heard them, please go back and listen. Yeah. Yep. It's not about just, it's, it's beyond this power, right? If I just move up, if I have more power, right? It's really about the systemic right so you you can be have all these licenses you can have a doctorate you can have these things and it does not change the narrative black educators at in all capacities right and dr or excuse me stacy brandon was a social worker she wasn't in education as a teacher not a same experience yeah Yeah. Yep. yep it goes back to this idea of white supremacy that no matter what Right. No matter what you achieve, what you accomplish, mm-hmm. they will take it away whenever they need to. Right. And 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 they yeah. will and then you will just be another black educator who's part of the problem, right? Who who does it and they'll play us against each other, right? And yeah, I'm talking about, about black that. educators, they'll play us against each other, right? And 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 I feel like I've experienced some of this recently. You know, where where it's like, well, this is what, uh, you know, is best for black students. And if black educators are asking for this, then they maybe don't value black students and the needs of black students. That's right. Amazing. And, That's and, amazing. And, and, and it's it's like, wait, just because I asked for my needs to be met means that I, I don't value the needs of black students. So what's the goal? Mm-hmm. Is, and this is where we go back to the bigger question. Can any be anything? Are they willing to do anything? It doesn't seem, it doesn't, from my perspective, it doesn't feel like they're willing to do anything. Let's um let let's let's put a pin in that because that's how I, I want us to sort of conclude a little bit because I think that will be a really big question. So spoiler alert, Kevin is skeptical. <laughs> Even though I'm gonna do this forever. No, because I'll yeah, take this job and love right. it. We're gonna <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about that too, but, but I think so. So just to, so we'll, we'll come to that in a second. Um, one of the thing that, things that kind of springs to mind for me too, and Asia, when you talked about the systemic uh, reality that oppresses and um, kicks out black educators, um, the thing that kind of comes to mind for me is that systems are upheld by people, right? Oh yeah. So the system can't just live on itself that it has to have individuals making choices daily, whether they're going to uphold it or not. And it may be like little tiny choices. Like you see a tense, a tense exchange happening and you just kind of put your head down at your cubicle and say, I'm not going to get involved in that. Um, And it could be really major things like what happens with, you know, you talked about Dr. Patterson, I think back to Darlene, Dr. Darlene Sampson and Mm -hmm. um, you know, people who are elevated specifically to do this work. One thing that also came out, and all three of us noticed this, credit to us, virtue signaling for all of us, right? Especially me and Kev as cis-hetero dudes. Um, so one, one, um, one thing that really has uh, emerged 
is that for the most part, the experiences of black women educators, a little bit different from the experiences of some black male educators. And one thing I'm going to say, because it's a weird thing for a not black person to say on a podcast, but, um, but I do want to sort of, you know, Asia, you suggested an intersectional lens on this. Do you want to speak to this? Yeah. So we've interviewed only two black men in our three. two seat. Three. 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 Yeah. Because yep, there was there was Michael. Michael. Was Michael. Oh, Desmond. and Kevin. Yeah. And <laughs> right. Kevin. And Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. But he's kind of like he's yeah. So I'm on like, the, so I'm on the, I'm on the edge. Folks. Yeah. He's gonna do this three... forever. Forever, forever. <laughs> We've had three black men on the show, and out of those three black men, two of them really had this. They shared the experience of like it not being so bad, and they chose right. to leave. And they've had like great experiences with their administrators, and like all this support. And it was their choice. And it was just like this. It's not racial battle fatigue. It was, it was a just calling like time for, for them. It was a it was calling. a calling. It was time yeah. for them to go. They got a better job, or they decided to. Um, go into consulting or decided to move into higher ed or decided to whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, not, like I said before, not the experience of the black woman we've interviewed. No. And so I really want to think about more and maybe as time goes on, we'll have more data around this. And I've said data twice and now I'm a super nerd in this <laughs> one episode, but She's we'll like, have more data now. Right. Qualitative <laughs> data. About well, you have to really, you, I mean, you have to like, it's, whether it's longitudinal or, you know, anyway. Longitudinal data yeah, over the time. Yeah. And so. <laughs> you to, stop it. Stop making fun of your people. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> my crew, right? My I mean, crew. you have to remember, Kevin, like <laughs> academic, there's no coincidence that academic also means irrelevant. Irrelevant. Like, it's like, it's, anyway. That's true. But yeah. So for Dr. The black women, like black women. Thank you. Black women our experience in education uh, from what we've seen and we've heard on this podcast seems to be far worse than our male guests. And I'm not saying, and I'm being very careful not to have a wide sweeping, right. Yep, yep. But it just, it really has seemed like when we interview, except for like Michael really talked about him having a hellish experience when he was yeah. teaching, yep, yep. but our other two folks just seemed like it was just not a problem for them. And so it makes me wonder a couple things. One, like, is that, I don't want to say they're lying because that's a, that's a reach, but I want to say yeah. like, is there more to the story? Mm-hmm. Right. I want to ask the question of like, it was if it was just like this and why? Like, I know that we've been really pushing for, we as a society or educators pushing for more black men in education <laughs> yep. because black men apparently are unicorns that can do magical things for children and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, but- was it that? Well, like they were like, I don't know what that's about, but I, it just really, and it really was Kevin who pointed that out um, in one of our interviews at the end. And I'm, I'm just curious about Stay that. Stay woke, Kev. Right? No, yeah. no. And, and the reason why it comes to me is because, you know, as we sit through these interviews, I think about my own career and my own experiences and some of the things that, that have not been, that have been said to these women that I have never had said to me. Not once. And, and, and it makes me ask questions, right? Have I not been pushing enough? And then I think back to times where I've really pushed and put stuff out there, you know, and, and advocated, you know, and, and then it makes me think, well, you know, how does it play into that intersectionality of it all play into it? And, and again, I think we know that, that the Black women carry, carry the burden of the world. 
right? That black women carry the Period. burden of the world. And in a classroom, and, and it's it's fascinating, you know, as, as my, and I don't know how far I can go into this, but I've been recently, I was shared as a member of the bargaining team with some data around our um, observation system. And, and um, you know, as like you guys said, researchers, you know, put this data. And it was very surprising when it came to um, bias related to our observation system and the results um, that really said there's not a lot of bias towards black women in our in our school district when it comes to observation and evaluation, which was fascinating, you know, which was very different from experiences that I've had where black women have been talked about have that I know and we've heard interviewed talked about how things show up in their professionalism comments about mm -hmm. how they engage in the work, how they mm -hmm. carry themselves in meetings, how approachable are they, right? And so like, I think, I feel like the only way black women are, ex are accepted is if they're super, right? If they do everything yeah. and they never question or, any of it. Or there's the assumption, there's this assumption that black women have such resilience and such strength that they do not need to be cared for and they do not need to so, be supported and they do mm -hmm. not need to be loved by the by their superiors and so mm -hmm. it's it's that it's that backhanded compliment or and that's right that's the really scary stuff because that goes back to black women can take more pain mm -hmm. black women can can uh, they can carry more of a burden they're, they're natural caregivers, so they can care beyond what they care for themselves, yeah. right? All of that stuff is rooted in those ideas, right? And so I, and this is where I get back to, like, I don't, I don't really see people willing to challenge some of the key root causes of these issues, right? Yeah. If, if a black woman raises her voice, and she's going to be called aggressive and we're not going to put a way for her to be protected from that or to train people to understand that that she's not being intimidated to you that this this is just a way of expression right yes. and other individuals who express themselves that way are never called aggressive sorry about that <laughs> Never. Kevin has a house phone. We got a landline. I'm, I'm no, 45, like, Asia. We talked. Who I'm has 45. a landline? <laughs> we got one. Stop it. Here we are. Stop it. Yeah. We, you're not wrong, Kevin. I think, too, I think that I don't think I know that the invisible labor that Black women experience from having so many kids in their classroom, yeah. right? I have a good friend, um, shout out to Lakeisha, who she's just leaving teaching because she's tired of the principal putting so many kids in her classroom yeah. who I'm quoting heavily here, like our behavior issues for everyone else. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, yep. and she's going to the principal and saying, why are you doing this? And it's like, well, you can handle them. And this is a black principal doing this to her. Yeah. Right. Well, right. So, and, that, and that plays into the, the sort of internalized white supremacy that, that we see oftentimes in communities of color. And I can't, I can't speak to black experiences with this except for as a listener, but I know that in my community, um, the Latinx community, there are a couple of wild things that are happening. So politically, um, brown women are, you know, they support progressive policies and democratic party politics for whatever those are to you, support those at a rate of 91 to nine. 
the men not so much um not the Republican there party and uh and uh the former president whose name escapes me right now um has oh seen yeah i don't know has seen more gains with latinos like men than any other group and so i think about what happens when when we become careerists as paulo freire will frame it when we become people who are willing to climb the ladder and use our own community as the rungs. Mm-hmm. So I think these are things, and um, Asia, I, I really appreciate what you said about that invisible labor, because it makes me think of what our friends at Quetzal talk about all the time, which is that if you're talking about professional violence towards black and brown women in educational systems, in capitalism, that's labor exploitation. That's putting yeah. too many kids in the classroom. That's and yeah. you know we know that black male teachers also will get the quote unquote behavior problems and they'll get those. But but increasingly, you know, it's it's more in in the classrooms of black women educators. And so when we talk about you know these working conditions, the racial battle fatigue, it, it would you say it, is it fair to say that it's rooted in labor exploitation? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I also, I also, I'm trying to think about, I know the conversation of black women teaching and then the family, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the piece, yeah. That's the piece too, right? So I think this is a something that needs to be talked about and considered. Is like we take care of family, right? Because traditionally you're supposed to blah blah blah, whatever, and like what that also brings on the expectations to take care of your family. And then also the sacrifices that family make for black women to stay in teaching, right? And so that's a part of the conversation that we need to have more is what does it mean to be a black educator, women, woman, um, non-binary, male, whatever. What does it mean to be in education and to have a family who is supporting you in this space, knowing that every single day, you're coming home talking about like all the racism that you're experiencing. Yeah. Like, how does your family take that on? Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I remember when I was doing my research and I was interviewing a woman who is still in teaching and she said that she talks about, I asked her like, how often do you talk about the racialized experiences you have in, in school? Uh-huh. And she said every day. And she said, I don't know what else we would day. talk about. Yeah. She said, I don't know what else we would talk about as a family if I didn't have these things to talk about. Yeah. Wow. That's, wow. So that's, it's so, that's so really it, sad. It displaces other topics that could be a hundred percent at the dinner table. And, and then because there's all this trauma and all this pain to process and it's really tough to process it uh, alone. Kev, what were you going to say on that? No, I, I, I just awful. Again, it's 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 a horrible experience where where it's just staying with you, and that's the only place where you have. And then it's it just burdens your family because we mm-hmm. come home and you're in a bad mood. You know, you're you're mad, you're upset, you know, about what happened. And then your family gets tired of hearing about it. They're like, oh yeah, here I now I have to hear about so and so again. Like, well, just quit then. Just quit. Yeah. So or is, stick in it because the last one is in dirt is almost done with high school. And we yeah, like yep, that, yep, that conversation yep. is big, too, is the that's just a real stick one. In it. Yep, just and stick I feel in like it. the just stick in it is a, is happening more when I talk to folks than it is just quit. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Or like, or the person, the educator, I don't, they would say like, I'm just going to a couple more years because my, you know, I need, I'm in the district, but we're not, our house isn't in the district and I need to just make sure they get through high school because yeah. I like the district, but we don't live there. Like yeah. all these little nuances, yeah. right? And it's, it's, that's the piece, right? It's this, this, it's that psychological negotiation that we're constantly having that keeps black teachers, probably teachers in general, but black teachers specifically in that space, right? What? Yeah. Sorry. Were, were you finished? Mm-mm, okay. I'm yeah. Done. So like, I, I just got excited because one thing that I observed over, over the run of the exit interview, just again, from the producer's chair is noticing how the educators and former educators that you all interviewed were really what's happening outside. Um, some weird birds out here, man. Um, <laughs> it blew in from somewhere. <laughs> um, so what I observed was that they all could speak really openly about um, difficult dynamics with colleagues, difficult dynamics with parents, difficult dynamics with administration but they hadn't actually made the connection to how how it affected their family lives until you ask the question and when you ask the question they're like well yeah i mean i kind of come oh mm-hmm. <laughs> right because i think the thing that 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 and you know we've seen the term racial battle fatigue pop up in some other areas but the piece that always gets left out is the impact on the home life and, and mm-hmm. the impact on the relationships you have at home and where that labor that that you are carrying um, taxes, you have nothing out left when you get home. Yeah. And imagine being two black educators in um, trying to do that, right? Yeah. So then where's the space if you have children that you support or that you are raising? What? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That's I mean, terrible. for me, it's is, terrible. you know, for me is the first um, from my Mexican side to finish college degree. The other thing I think about, because you were talking about, you know, um, folks talking about, you know, should I just stick? Should I just tough it out? Like that kind of thing. Um, for me, that's been a very real like tension is like this job is taking a lot out of me, but I could actually be the first person in my family to have a relatively predictable and comfortable retirement. And so where the stakes are higher for people of color, I feel like they're not as high for the predominantly white teaching workforce. Um, So we, you know, I feel like I'm kind of tap dancing around this question because I think, well, I I have an idea what the answer is. Um, (laughs) But I think we also, um, I think we, I think, Kevin, you opened the conversation by saying the situation is dire. So can anything be done to address this situation? I mean, well, I won't pull the magazine cover yet. I mean, can anything be? I think things can be done. I think things can be done. And I I can't wait to hear Asia's response. I don't think I'm watching it right now. I don't think people are willing to do it. That's that's what I uh, that's what I say what that is like, say, say what it is that that I mean, I think really it's being willing to to ultimately challenge and and this is everywhere, right? In every industry, every endeavor in this country to ultimately challenge white supremacy 
white supremacist culture at its roots, right? And the schoolhouse is an institution that was built, it permeated these ideas, right? And no matter how many resolutions on equity or black excellence or all of it that we can put out there, those are just words, right? Mm-hmm. And in the end, if we, if we do not attack the root cause, you cannot if you can't, if, uh, you can heal the symptoms, but not affect the cause that you can't heal the symptoms, right? So like we are not, you're not addressing the ultimate cause. It's white supremacy in this country and the system that exists. And I don't think, and I, I have not seen a willingness to attack, indict, change, transform any of the things that we talk about, yeah. right? And, and I think it goes to all sorts of things. I mean, profession, evaluating professionalism, as long as that's going to be there, you're going to, it's going to be used against black educators to say, you're not living up to what you should be. And right? maybe the reality is that any system, any, well, any tool or practice that is put in place that is without black educators at the table will inherently be a weapon against black educators. Um, I think I think it's one of those things where people think of white supremacy as this intentional um, everyday practice. But the, what I try to push back on people is that white supremacy is the default setting. So those who do harm do harm. Those who do nothing also do harm. Because when you do nothing, it defaults to that default setting which is, okay, well, if it can't, if we're not going to make it anything else, we're just going to leave it the way it is. It's going to be white supremacy, whether we try to or not. Um, Asia, your thoughts? Well, you already know my thoughts. I know your thoughts. The audience probably (laughs) does too, but let's, let's get them out here. (laughs) So I just, I want to say, yeah, yes, exactly what Kevin said. And I also want to say that what's not being acknowledged is the history, right? The history and it's, and of of black education black black excellence which i'm using very lightly here desegregation segregation we're also not acknowledging that we're talking about retention i taught at cu denver um, as an adjunct professor in their school education um for three years and i taught a class Mm -hmm. that most k-6 students who were pre-service teachers had to go through to continue the program so i saw just about everybody and on no hands, I can count the black male educators that came through me, through my class. And then three or four black pre-service teachers came through my classroom in, in, in the six semesters that I taught. And I will say that one of the teachers that I taught asked me in class or pre-service teachers asked me in class, you know, like, will I experience racism when I entered teaching? And she asked me that because when she was doing her hours for my class or not for, excuse me, not for my class, for a different class, she had a racialized experience from one of her, with one of the teachers that was there. So before she even gets into the classroom space as an educator, when she's just simply getting her hours and supporting a teacher, she's experiencing racial battle fatigue. Yeah. So we can't even get folks to come to finish out programs. Yeah. And especially right. now, when when we look at the data on on who on who is entering teacher preparation programs, 
those numbers are down across the board anyway. Yes. yes. And I would be really interested to know how those numbers bear out racially. My yeah. assumption is that is that the overall numbers are probably down. And my guess would be among black and brown would be educators. It's even like those numbers are plummeting at, at probably a more precipitous rate. Do yeah. you, I don't know if you're aware of anything out there at this point. I guess it's hard to say yeah. as school years are just about to get started. So we yes. may not know for a few weeks, but. Um, first, shout out for the word precipitous because look <laughs> at you using vocabulary. Okay? I'm telling you, a million dollar word. Ding, ding, ding. Telling you. Um, I looked up before we started uh, taping Time Magazine put out an article January 2022 um, about the 2020-2021 school year and it uh, it says Black teachers were more than twice as likely as other teachers in the winter of 2021 to say they plan to leave their jobs at the end of the 2020-2021 school year according to report released by the Rand Corporation. Wow. Right. So and this was articles called public schools are struggling to retain black teachers. These ex teachers explain why. And it yeah. came out January 5th, 2022. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, we, teacher education, I, like I said, Colorado's fairly white. Duh. Right. But I, <laughs> I would say that in my in my classroom, in my it's fairly white, but it's in my classroom white. of teachers in, in higher ed, yep. my last semester, they struggled to get teachers there. I, yeah. My classroom, I have very low numbers and it was maybe 95% white women. Yeah. Because, yeah. And, and I'm, and I can tell you from, from my program where I was scheduled to do some teacher prep coursework courses and some teacher candidate supervision. I will be doing that because we don't have enough people. We have, um, you know, the enrollments down. And so if we take the, the data that you located from the RAND Corporation and we project it forward, right? So mm -hmm. if what these Black educators were saying, they were feeling in January, if, if, that, if that followed to its logical conclusion, so what, what we have is, is we are burning the teacher force of the black teacher force at both ends. We mm -hmm. are keeping the ones that we have and we aren't enticing any to come into the work. Right. So dire, right, Kev? I mean, <laughs> this is what they say, right? This is what they say they want is more black educators who, who they want. They want us to come in and they want us to stay here. Right. And, and, I don't know. If I if you ask me, what would I say? Remember, Gerardo, we went and spoke with those incoming educators. That's always a hard conversation. What do you say to make black educators in particular come into this, come into this job? You're going to experience microaggressions, blatant racism, people calling you aggressive because you're advocating for the kids or students. People being wrong about people, you every people single minute mm -hmm. of the day. People mm -hmm. dismissing you. Uh, ignoring your contributions, taking credit for your work that you do. Listen, <laughs> listen. I, and, I, and I can't even do that anymore because I'm not in the classroom. So like, <laughs> hey, come be a classroom teacher. I'm not, but you should be. Yeah. Let, let, let's kind of look at it. I, so my friend, Brooke Brown, uh, 2021 Washington Teacher of the Year, um, she 
and I, and I think she learned this from either Adrienne Marie Brown or Miriam Kaba. I, I don't remember what source she, she cited here, but she talks about social justice work being science fiction, right? Mm. That, you know, kind of, kind of following the example of the great Octavia Butler, mm. that you have to be able to envision a world that does not yet exist. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to envision that world so palpably and so concretely that you believe it exists, right? Is there a science fiction version of this story? And Asia, before, while y'all marinate on that, what you said about teaching the history, I really don't want that piece to get glossed over. And I don't want the listeners to miss that piece because it is no mistake that this panic over quote unquote critical race theory, it coincides with the, with the mass uh, removal of black educators. Well, if we don't wanna teach black history and we don't wanna teach the uncomfortable parts of American history, how can we expect the people who have come from those heritages to be a part of the system? And someone else put something, um, I'm gonna look for it while y'all process, but yeah, is there a science fiction version of this story of black educators in America? I just want to say one thing before I'm going to let Kevin answer that first, but I want to say something about what you're saying. You know, um, Derek Bell, who is the father of critical race. Get out of my mind. I was going to mention Derek Bell. Too. <laughs> listen, All right, go ahead. Like, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, if you, well, listen, before. yeah, he has a, he has something called the Derek Bell reader, which is an anthology of a lot of his work. And so much of what, so much of his work focused on the desegregation of schools. Yeah and what it would do and how it impacted us and how much of a lie it was and how, and so I just find it, it, I mean, yeah, the man, I mean, 1970s, man been gone, right? Long (laughs) gone, right? Yeah. Kimberly Crenshaw obviously was a student of his, carries on his work today, but he was talking about this a long, long time ago, right? And we, we in America love to be like, fresh start, clean start, new year, new you, all this bullshit. Yep. And they're doing the same thing in education and it's not working because black folks are like, uh-uh, same year, same me, same you, same whatever. And the more we keep doing that brand new start, new initiative, clean slate, blueprint, green print, but the more we do that and pretend like we have something new and not acknowledge, and not just like last year, but for all these years, the longer we just do not acknowledge, the more we're going to go on and have these conversations, Yeah. period. So Kevin, Afrofuturism, what do you think? I mean, whenever you get to that, I, I think of space traders. And I'm like, well, what would they come? What if they come and say, say, we want all of your black educators. We're going to take, we, it will fix your education. It will fix all the gaps. All you have to do is give us all of your black educators. We don't, we're not going to tell you what we want them for. Right? Because they want us. Because mm-hmm. they see us as a solution to the problem, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't really want us to be the solution to the problem. Well, they see they see all as a solution to a problem that they have not identified. Mm-hmm. So they, they know that there's a talking point and they know that they turned their little social media profile pictures to a black square two years ago. Um, and so they know they have to do the thing or appear to be doing the thing. Like I, th- I think in age, I think what you were sort of talking about with, uh, with Dr. Bell and the, and that, in in that 
prophetic voice was this idea of interest convergence, right? And yes. the idea that yes. white supremacy and white people will just not act until a benefit can be manufactured for them. And what is so- a, yeah, what is a benefit? We know the answer to this, but they cannot imagine there being a benefit of having a black teacher in front of a white student. Well, the, you know, it's interesting though, because the data obviously shows that um, that teachers of color, particularly black teachers, are good for all kids, not just black kids. But, yes. but, but that's kind of where it's like when we're engaging families and kids, that's rarely where the problem starts, right? It's internal. It's like this, it's uh, what's Talib Kweli's, um, you know, line from Beautiful Struggle, um, looking for the, looking for the cure, but you can't see what's hurting you, right? Because it's inside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's personal. Um, and when I think Afrofuturism, I think Sun Ra. Um, and they don't want, and they don't want to, and pe- people don't want to take the, they don't want to admit it, right? That Like the dominant culture, the people who are involved in this, they want to say, well, we've done some things and that's helped to fix it, right? And with, and again, it's that experience of, well, we've done this, we've done that. But the I think for Black educators, it feels like you haven't done anything. For those of us who've been around and been through it, it feels mm-hmm. like you've done very little. I think it's interesting. So what I've done is I've like set this up as a really complex question. I'm starting to hear from both of you. It's not that complex. What it is, is you celebrate the presence of black teachers for who they are. You support them for who they are. You let them show up as their authentic selves. You let them sit at tables of power and actually have decision-making power and have a voice. You let them advance as them selves is it that simple so yes and you and teach no. this is this is the issue with that this is the thing because you've lost our trust so it's gonna be years of doing that before okay. you start seeing a return yeah in my mind i could be dead wrong but in my mind it would take like yeah they're doing that now mm-hmm, let's watch them now sure yeah. sure sure it would take a long time before the tide turns because again, the history, yeah. right? It's like, been more we, than we two years. This. It's been yeah. more than two years. <laughs> yeah. And you think of, I mean, just how black folks uh, around the country responded to like vaccines for COVID. Yeah. And how long did we like Tuskegee happen? Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's going to take a lot of, and a long time of, of districts showing up and I don't think that folks are going to want to do that work for that yeah. long. They're going to be like, we said we were, we we're going to change and you're not changing. So we're forgetting. We're just not. Right. Not well, well yeah. And enough. yeah. And, and I think to, to that point, when you, when you take the 10,000 foot view, what we have is we have an educational system that denied access to black people in America when it was established that if you are a black person, you could not get educated. They were faster to get a police force in place before they could get schools in place for black people to attend. So what we're looking at is, so what we're telling you is that we denied you systematically access to education, but now we really need you. And over 150 years has passed in that time. We've been, they've denied us access to white education. So black people okay. have educated ourselves for all forever. Apologize. important copy. You're good. Yes. No. Yeah, we we figured out a long time ago how to sneak out sheets of the Bible to learn how to read and how to oh. read the stars and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. they've denied us, yes, new books. They've denied us working school buses. They've denied us fill in the blank. But 
but they have they, they cannot deny us education because we always had it yeah however and maybe that's the solution Ooh, kevin just hit a mic drop <laughs> yeah kevin's out right kevin's out he's like i got nothing to add <laughs> yeah maybe that's the, maybe that's a part of the solution yeah right it's thinking about this just take what if we just take this off the table of it, like going and working in public school systems and think about a, a black lives matter 5280 school shout out to our next Hypo- hypothetically next right? hypothetically. hypothetically like because this is not working we're we're, we're in loops and circles and going over and over again. So if, if we took this off the table, we said this will never, ever happen. Just forget it. You'll never get the respect you deserve. Just forget thinking about it. How will we show up differently for ourselves? Yeah. And we maybe choose to makes, teach. I don't mean leave, that, but I mean, yeah. How will we and, choose? If we choose to stay in the classroom, then what? Yeah. And that's, that, that is sort of the science fiction like sort of thing where we we have not we we have kept like these have been these edu- educational spaces you refer to have been fugitive spaces right these have been spaces where where you know they had to exist in secret they had to in- exist away from the gaze of white supremacy so what if we just legitimize it and say this is just going to be what it is and we legitimize it for ourselves and we make that happen um kev you there <laughs> i think kevin has some bad internet and in says his internet second. is struggling well so maybe uh this would be a good time to kind of take it home and you know sort of uh sort of put a um put this one in the canister and get it ready to get in front of the people so as exit let's see can you hear me my internet's going we can hear you All right. If you're talking, we cannot hear you. Mm-mm. All right. Um, here, I'm going to pause real quick. Oh, I know you're recording. <laughs> Just pause for a second. All righty. Apologies for the technical difficulties. Um, internets are racist, as it turns out. So, um, <laughs> so we're here. We're going to go ahead and take this home. We're going to wrap up and, um, and give a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit of musing on the future. At this moment, um, Dr. Asia Lyons, Kevin Adams, with the work that we've done with the exit interview, a question may emerge for a lot of people that if it's the same story over and over again, and if we already know what the experiences of Black educators, particularly Black women educators, are going to be, and if we know that the healing process that would put, that would hypothetically bring Black educators back into American classrooms, even if there was the patience to do that, it just doesn't seem like the answer like, why do we keep, why do we want to keep telling these stories? Why do we want to keep being out here with these stories? Um, and th- that's not a question I have, but that's a question that others may have is like, okay, like that we know how this is going to happen. Um, why should we keep doing it? Um, I'll go first. If that's okay, Kevin. Yeah, go ahead. When I, when I thought about this podcast and I thought about my reasonings behind this podcast, the purpose of it, and it will always be to let Black educators know that there's a whole world outside of teaching that appreciates and supports you. It's not about, it's about the classroom teacher, obviously, 
But there's this part we ask that's the most important, which is like two questions. The first one is, what are you doing now that you've left the classroom? And so that's that's what I want Black educators. And this is who the podcast is for, is for Black educators, right? I yep. want Black educators to hear folks saying, I'm doing X and Y and Z and still impacting youth and doing these things and working for this nonprofit and doing this consulting work. Or working for blah, myself. Blah, blah, blah. Or working for myself, right. I want folks to hear that, Black teachers to hear that and, and say like, you know what? I knew that person and I knew they left, but I wonder what happened and she's not dead. She didn't disappear in the ether. He yeah. didn't, whatever. They continue on. We continue on to support youth in all types of ways, support our communities in all types of ways. And that's that's why I am here to make sure that Black educators who are in our audience understand that there is if you have chosen that psychological negotiation, if you and your family have had that conversation and it's something that you're considering, know that there are people out here doing it and they are thriving. They are thriving. So that's that's why I continue to make sure that we have folks on this show that tell their story because we are thriving out here. Kevin? Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think that's so important, right? And I think back, you know, when we think about the history and like uh, what you brought up, Asia, that black people have always found a way to get our education, right? And 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 I think what it comes back to is they're they're always going to try to prove that we are inept and 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 somehow less than, right? And and education in school is a very easy way to do that, especially when the school is uh, dominated by white culture. Mm-hmm. And so when when I when I start to think about is, you know, what are those, what, what is the way that we can plan for the future that takes us out of the system, right? That removes, uh, you know, black people from this system because we know that the system wasn't intended for us, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the important thing. What are those other ways that we can still get to our people, educate, inspire children, let them know where they come from? And I think that's the most inspiring thing that I get from the exit interview that I, and I, and I thank you, Asia, for always raising that up and going back to that point is that there are other options. And then I think about the history and in particular, that being a teacher was one of the few opportunities that black women had, right. Mm -hmm. In when we had segregated schools and black women lost that opportunity, right? And black women were dynamic at it. And we all know mm-hmm. people who grew up with black educators uh, in, in segregated schools, right? Either um, because of redlining or because legally they were segregated, right? And we know that those women were incredible. And when they went and started to teach in white schools, those same teachers, those same black women were often criticized for their approaches. And I've seen it happen. Right. I've seen it happen in my career where they where older black women in particular are criticized for their approaches. So I think it's important for us to see that we've moved past those times and that black women in particular can can accomplish amazing things beyond the system that has been sanctioned and established by the dominant white supremacist culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So folks may come to this podcast when they see the exit interview pop up on their feed. And when we 
typically think of an exit interview. When most people think of an exit interview, an exit interview um, is framed to benefit the employer, right? Well, yep. if you'll do if you'll do an exit interview with us and then we can just learn from it and maybe make the institution better and make this, make this whole thing better. But what we're doing here with Tudo Productions exit interview is to say, here's how I exited. This is just one way you can do it. Mm-hmm. And if you have those doubts, if you have those hesitations, if this is taking more out of you than what it's giving you, you don't have to stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, y'all. That's it. That's important. I think it's an important lesson, right? And 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 you can still impact change. And possibly at a greater level. I was just going to yes. say, is, when we look at what, what some of these folks are doing, it like, you know. <laughs> like real inspiring work, which is why I'm so excited for our next guest that is coming on the exit interview. Yeah, who's that next guest? So our next guest is Branta Lockett. Branta Lockett is a part of the Black Lives Matter 5280 crew. She is the executive director of their Freedom School. And she's talking to us about her experience in education as an educator. And now with, along with so many dope teachers, dope folks, in the community um, is trying to open up a freedom school here in Denver. And I'm sure she'll, I don't know if she will or not, but I'm sure she'll talk about the experience of what that's been like and yeah. the why and what they've doing, what they've been doing so far. I know they had a summer camp this summer that was yeah. waitlisted. So many kids went to it. So yeah. we'll definitely talk to her um, as she's talking about, and she's living in that Afrofuturism, right? Yeah. And she's living in that space where black folks are here for black folks with black folks. Yeah. So we're excited right. for that. That's that going to be a great episode. For sure. And I feel yeah. like um, I feel like uh, Branta Lockett will have a couple of exit interviews to give. I feel like there's a couple of sets of experiences that, yeah. um, that exist there in her world. So, well, Dr. Asia Lyons, Kevin Adams, thank you so much for just doing this deep reflection, this fearless reflection, this um, this just completely real and authentic reflection with me this evening. Um, folks, if you like what you're getting here with the exit interview, follow us at Two Dope Teachers on all social media platforms. You can also, if you, you know, I don't know, want to support grassroots people of color created media, you can go to patreon.com slash Two Dope Teachers. We've got some big things coming in the next few weeks and months, y'all. You wanna get in on it, you wanna be mm-hmm. able to support it. And you know what, I'm gonna say this again, we we have stickers, we don't have t-shirts, we don't have swag, we don't have a million things that we can give you. But the important thing is whether you're actually supporting um, this work, because there isn't really any other platform like this one. Um, mm-hmm. And so come here and support it. You can get advanced episodes of the exit interview of uh, Habitually Disruptive with me, Gerardo Munoz, and of course, the flagship podcast, Two Dope Teachers and a Mic, 
Um, in the coming weeks, Kevin and I will also talk about how our relationship has changed on the podcast and how the podcast may be a little bit different in um, the months and years to come. So thank you all for being here. Um, we are looking forward to engaging with you for at least another school year. Peace, y'all. Peace out. Peace.